Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. The Gospel of John, chapter 11. I've been so blessed to be here the last few months, and I I've, was just thinking to myself, I said, you know, God, I wasn't born here, but I'm thankful I got here as soon as I could, you know? <clears throat> Somebody once told me that North Louisiana was kind of like the promised land. It was God's country. And in so many ways, it is. It's God's country. But you know what? When you go into Canaan, you also know there are a few giants around, right? And in North Louisiana, the giant for me is pollen. <clears throat> you can probably hear it in my voice today. And I promise you, it hurts you to listen to me a whole lot more than it hurts me to speak this morning. But I've uh, been dealing with that this week, and I pray that you would just kind of follow along and listen this morning as best you can. And uh, I said this morning as I was getting up and I was, was coming, I'd been praying, Lord, you just take this away from me. But at the same time, I know that this God that we serve who's able to, able to heal lame men, who is able to bring uh, sight to blinded eyes, that he is the God that empowers us to do what we need to do when the time comes. So I'm thankful for him this morning for giving me the strength and the power to be able to share with you. John chapter 11, as we look at the seventh sign, over the last few weeks, we've talked about the different signs that John records for us. In these first 11 chapters, he records for us seven signs. Each one speaks to the distinctive nature of who Jesus Christ is. Each one speaks to the power and the glory of Christ. And it sets us up for that Palm Sunday. As you see the Jesus coming in to uh, crowds that adore him, it is because of the power that has been demonstrated through the signs that we've seen in John 1 through 11. We see his identity and the people begin to come around him and worship him and recognize him. Even if it's for a moment, they recognize his power and so much of that grow, really grows out of John 11, which is to me the greatest miracle, the greatest sign that is performed outside of Jesus' own resurrection. And I want to share that story with you this morning as we look at John chapter 11. John records this event for us in this way. He says, Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, the story tells us that Jesus knows these individuals. He knows Lazarus. He knows Mary. He knows Martha. And as, as a matter of fact, he actually has a love for them, an affection for them. And he gets word. He gets word that this family that he's loved is going through a very difficult time. As a matter of fact, Lazarus is sick and Lazarus needs help. That you can tell that there is in this request some desire for Jesus to come and to do something. After all, Jesus has been known to heal people and work in people's lives. So you would think that Jesus would certainly want to come to those people that he would love and those people that he'd want to take care of. I want you to see that in this miracle, as so many other miracles, 
the story really begins with disappointment. Disappointment. Disappointment in expectations. You see, here word is sent. Word is sent that Jesus would come and Jesus would intervene. It was kind of like a prayer. Jesus, would you do something? I know that you love us. You say that you love us. Would you do something within our lives? Twice it is mentioned in these opening verses that Jesus loved these individuals. Twice emphasizing the affection and the care that he had for these folks. And then notice in verse 6. It is rather a surprising response that Jesus gives. Verse 6, it says, So when he heard that he was sick, he what? Stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, doesn't that just surprise you? I mean, that the word would come to Jesus, that he would hear that somebody that he loved, that he cared about, was in trouble. He was sick. And that Jesus would purposely stay two more days. That violates our expectations, right? It violates our expectations of of family, of friends, of people that we would know. If we would send word and say, look, we need you to come because there's something going on in our lives and it's a difficult thing, we would expect those family members or those friends to just come, right? To put everything else aside and just come. But Jesus here stays two more days, violates our expectations. You know, all of us have expectations. All of us have some type of expectations. We have expectations of our family, of our friends, of our church members, of our ministers. We, we have all types of expectations. I, I love talking with um, young couples when they're, they're just approaching marriage. They have all types of expectations of what marriage is going to be. It goes something like this. Life is so good and life will be so good because when I get married, this will be the best thing that has ever happened to me. Each night we will have candlelight meals at our house. We will go for walks in the park. We'll enjoy life together. I mean, it will be the most... You, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, we see through different lenses. We, we have expectations. And, and I have to be very careful because marriage is good, isn't it, Les? Isn't, isn't it good? It's good, baby. Just say amen and shake your head. You know, marriage is great and it's awesome, but we know there are challenges, right? And don't you love it when the disappointment comes in those very beginning days? I mean, when it comes by something like they didn't fold the washcloth the way we always fold it. See, we all have expectations. No matter what we go in and what we do, we have expectations that this is the way people respond, this way the people will be. The responses that we have, the expectations we have of Jesus, that if something is going on in our lives, that Jesus, we know, loves us, and thus we believe, we expect him to work and to demonstrate his power the way we believe he should. I mean, again, here, we would expect Jesus to come. And there, how many of us have prayed before? We have gotten down on our knees and we meant it from the very bottom of our heart that we needed help and we cried out to God and we said, God, we know you love us and we pray that you would just intervene, that you would act, that you would bring healing, that you would work in this relationship. 
And how many times does it seem that he has waited two days or three days or four days or months? And it seems that he did not answer the way we thought. This must have violated the disciples' expectations. I believe there was disappointment. Disappointment from the disciples and, as we'll see, disappointment from the family. That Jesus did not come, that Jesus did not just bring healing. And we know not only just come, we know from what we've read in John here, John's gospel, that Jesus could have spoken. He did not have to be physically present to bring healing. We've already seen that in these signs. Jesus could have just spoken and there could have been healing. So not only did he tarry, but he just did not speak the way they thought he might. Then after this, he said to his disciples in verse 7, let us go to Judea again. Not only does Jesus disappoint the disciples in his response to this request, but he will disappoint his disciples even in the, in the way he returns. He, he goes back to Judea. Again, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. And are you going there again? It's as though they say, we know the way the Pharisees have been looking at you. We know the way the Sadducees have really ridiculed you. We know what the religious leaders want. And now you want to go back to that place where they want to, they want to kill you? You've waited for two days and now you want to go back. That doesn't seem like a good plan, Jesus. In verse 11, these things he said, and after he said to them, he said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. And the disciples said, Well, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. That, that's, that's my attitude too, right? Leslie, just leave me alone. Let me sleep for a little while. Take a nap. Very therapeutic naps are, aren't they? Especially Sunday after. Give me an amen. Please, Leslie doesn't believe this anywhere else, but... The disciples say, well, Lord, if he's sleeping, he's going to get well. That's good for him. He's resting. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. And then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. But you may believe. You want to talk about violating expectations. Did you hear what Jesus said? Jesus said, the man that I love, Lazarus, my friend, is dead. And I'm glad he is. How disappointing that must have been. This seems so out of character for Jesus. Jesus, the picture of compassion. Jesus, the picture of true love. That Jesus would not only go like we thought he should, that Jesus would now come to Judea where people are wanting to kill him, but that Jesus would respond in such a way that he's proud that his friend has died? He says, nevertheless, let us go to him. Well, then Thomas, the hopeful, ever optimistic Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Obviously, Jesus is on a suicide mission. We thought that things were coming together, that the kingdom was going to grow. 
But now he's wanting to go back and give up his life. And he's talking about how his proud Lazarus is dead. He wants all of us to die. So let's just all go with him and let's all die with Jesus. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God... God will give you. Do you sense at least a hint of disappointment in Martha's reaction? Just at least a hint. She comes to Jesus. She meets him. She greets him. She loves him. And I don't sense bitterness here. I just sense disappointment and hurt. Jesus, if you had have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that whatever's going to take place, and I know you have the power to do these things. Now, I don't think she was confessing the power of the resurrection at this point because you can tell later on in her reaction. She's not thinking he's about to be resurrected. She just disappointed that Jesus had not come. Later on in verse 32, when Mary comes to where Jesus was and she sees him, she falls down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Almost the exact same statement that Martha makes, Mary will make later on. You don't think they had sat, they had sat around and talked about this? You don't think they had sat there and wondered why Jesus had not come? Now, some people believe Lazarus was probably already dead when Jesus got word because you're talking about a day trip. So probably the day that Jesus got word, Lazarus had died. He delayed two more days, and then he went back accounting for the fourth day. But still, even knowing Lazarus had died, why didn't he come? I mean, you call the pastor, and you say, Pastor, we need you at the hospital because something's happening. You're not going to be real happy that the pastor doesn't come until three days later or four days later. So here they've been sitting around. They've been wondering. They must have had some theological discussions. Why did Jesus not come? And they both respond, Jesus, if you had been. And notice this. This is not a matter of faith. I hear people oftentimes say, well, if you have enough faith, you're going, to get, you're going to be healed and things are going to go your way. It's all about faith. You just don't have enough faith, Brother Reggie. I want you to hear within this. Mary and Martha, they have absolute faith in Jesus. Notice the way they, they know that if he would have spoken or if he would have come, there would have been healing. It's not a question of faith here. It's not a question of whether or not they had enough faith. It was a question of God's purpose for their lives and what he was going to do within them. But I want you to, again, just note this. It begins with disappointment. Probably one of the best books I've ever read in my life, 
I read when I was at Blue Mountain College. Somebody else had recommended it to me. It was by Philip Yancey. Some of you have heard of Philip Yancey. Have you read his books before? And it was simply entitled, Disappointment with God. And it spoke about those moments of our lives or we were disappointed. And, and look, can we be honest that there have been times we have been disappointed? I just want to be honest with you this morning. There have been times in my life I've been disappointed. I wanted God to work in this way. I, I prayed that God would do this. A year ago, a year ago, I preached the funeral of one of the best friends I've ever had in my life. One of my deacons, Robert Ballard. I see the Robinsons here this morning. They knew Robert. Robert was a guy that owned the air conditioning company, one of the air conditioning companies there in Zachary. And he was about this tall, but he had been... I, I, let me just say to you, God poured extra energy into that man. I'm talking about he would he would be all over town. He would be working. He would be doing. Look, I prayed that I would have just a little bit of that energy. I mean, I was the same size, and I'm thinking, God didn't get that much energy in me. But Robert would be running around town. He'd be doing different things. Robert was one of those people that could fix anything, anything. And he would be at my house. Leslie had called me. I'd be out at the hospital or so, and she'd say, hey, you know, there's something's going on with his sink. I said, well, I don't, are you asking me? Somebody asked me this week, are you mechanical? Have you looked at me lately? <laughs> no, I'm not mechanical. I don't know any. I told Leslie, I said, call Robert. Robert, Robert, just call Robert. He'll, he'll come and he'll take you. Robert will come. She'll tell you one time he came over and he said, well, you know, there is an on and off switch down here. <clears throat> Robert was a, a great friend. He had been the chair of the Minister of Student Search Committee at one time. He was on a building committee we had. I mean, Robert was a spark. Just this last week, I was down at Pineville talking about deacons and how they could be a spark in the ministry. And let me say, Robert Ballard was a spark in the ministry. I never forget when he came through. He came through on a Monday morning, came into my office, and he looked at me and he said, Brother Reggie, I want you to pray for me. I said, well, what's going on? Well, you know I was supposed to be having that shoulder surgery. And I said, yeah, I know. Dr. Kozar was going to do that. And he said, yeah, but Dr. Kozar's decided it's not just a shoulder surgery. It's not just, it's not going to help. I said, well, what's going on? He said, they think I have Lou Gehrig's. I said, Robert, they think you, I mean, that you have Lou Gehrig's? He said, yeah. Just pray for me. And I remember that. It was a Monday morning in my office, I guess, I don't know, about four years ago or so, and sat down. And I'm telling you, we prayed. And I prayed for him, and I prayed for him, and I prayed, God, would you just bring healing? I mean, come on. This is Robert. This is the spark. This is the one that is there for us and takes care. Lord, just, he, he's honored you with his life. God, heal him. 
And I prayed. There weren't, weren't many days that went by that I didn't pray for him. I'd go over to his house in those months and I could see him deteriorating. He would still come to church as much as he could. As much as he could, he was there. But I could still see him deteriorating. They, he said, maybe if we could just come and sit in the, sit in the foyer or another room or so, and uh, sometimes it's hard, but whatever I can do, I want to be at church and I want to, I want to worship. And he did. I see him go down and I would go over to his house and I'm going to tell you, there were days when it was very difficult for me to, to leave. I would go back to the office and I would look at my administrative assistant. I remember telling her, there are not many more days I can take like this of seeing Robert go down as he's going down. But Robert would be one of those always to lift you up. Are you there? About this time last year, I was doing an Easter Bible study on Wednesday morning at the church. When Leslie came in, walked to me, and she said, they need you at Robert's. They think he's passed. They need you there. I closed the Bible study, and I went straight to the house. And I'm going to tell you, there were days, including that day, when I just said, God, why? God, why did you not hear my prayer? God, why did you not heal him? God, it seems that this is a person that you have loved and he has loved you. God, why? It wasn't a matter of faith. I knew God could do it. I knew God had all the power of the universe, and he still does. But why? You know... There have been those moments in my life, and I'm sure there have been those moments in yours. You just simply said, God, why? And I want you to see in this passage that it's okay. Mary and Martha, they said, why, God? I mean, they said it in so many ways. I understand. They said, God, if Jesus, if you had been here, this, this my, our brother, he, he'd be living. You could have done this. You could have taken care of this. And I want you to see that through this, that Jesus actually demonstrated his compassion and his empathy for them. He knew what he was going to do, but I want you to see that he still loved them and he demonstrated compassion to, for them. Verse 33 of this chapter says, Therefore when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Shortest verse of our scriptures. Jesus simply wept, reminding us that Jesus, who was fully God, was also fully human, and that he was touched by this pain. He, the scripture in Hebrews, it says that we have a high priest who is basically touched with our infirmities, who's touched by our difficulties. We have a, a God who loves us and who is touched and who hurts for us when we go through those moments. And Jesus weeps. It says that he, he groans within his spirit, that he is troubled. The word there is a very violent word. 
that, that talks about a violent type of twisting. Sometimes they would use this word to talk about the way a horse would just snort violently and just try to run away. But there was this sense of trouble that he had in his spirit. He groaned within himself. In verse 38, when he stood before the tomb, he said that it was gro- he was groaning in himself. See, Jesus empathized with him. He did love them. He did love them. And he empathized with them. And he knew what they were going through. And let me say this to you. Jesus knows what we go through. I can say to you now that Jesus knows the pain of this world and the difficulties of this world. Now, Jesus knew what he was going to do, didn't he? Didn't he know what he was going to do? Absolutely. Jesus knew. He had already said that this was not going to result into death, but to the glory of God. Jesus knew what he was going to do. So why was he crying? He knew all his theology. That's what I want to tell people sometimes. When we're going through a difficult time, we don't need a theological lesson. Most of us, we know what our theology is. We know things are going to be better. But it doesn't mean we can't still hurt and have pain here. And Jesus knew what was going on. He, he knew all his theology. He's the one that wrote theology. He knew all of that. He knew what he was going to do, but he still had that pain. Now, I think part of it was that it was his friends who were going through this difficulty, but also I think it even spoke to this, this cosmic purpose that he had, that he was coming to do battle with sin and battle with Satan and destroy the effects of sin and the consequences of sin. And the ultimate consequence of sin is what? Death. Why do we die? Because of the collective sin that we face in this world today. Because of humanity's sin. And he was coming to fight against it. I think he, it tore inside of him because of what he had seen sin do to this world. I think that's the reason he, he groaned within his spirit. Because he was seeing what sin was doing. And he empathized with his people. Well, he violated their expectations. He disappointed them in so many ways. Even some of the others who stood there, verse 37 said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Notice, even the people who had come around Mary and Martha, they knew. They knew that God could have done something, that Jesus could have done something if he had been there. So get this. Jesus comes to the tomb, as I mentioned in verse 38. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Lord, there's no reason to do this. Now, in the third century, we have writings from, in Jewish literature that said that the spirit of a person they believed would kind of hover around the body for, for th- three days before he descended. Now that's just what Jewish literature says. I don't believe that. I believe to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Amen. But that was what Jewish literature was said. So if if that reflected the practice of first century, perhaps there were those people who believed that the spirit was hovering around for those first three days. So four days later, perhaps the significance is that everybody there knew that Je- that Lazarus was dead. Everybody. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
Because remember, in a scripture that we didn't read a moment ago, back up in verse uh, 23, Jesus had said to Martha, your brother will live again. He'll, he'll rise again. And remember, Martha had said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Yeah, Jesus, I know that. I got all my theology. I know that one day there's going to be a great resurrection. And you got to love what Jesus said to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. You don't have to wait for the resurrection and the life to experience. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world. Remember, why did John write all of these things? That you, you and I, may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in his name. There is an expression of that confession found here in John 11. Martha said, I, I believe you. So in verse 41, they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. They took away the stone, and the dead man was there, Lazarus. And Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And there was Lazarus, reanimated, resuscitated. He was alive. I love what the old country preacher used to say. He used to say that Jesus called him by name because if he had not, all of the other graves would have burst open in that day because that was the power of Jesus. If Jesus would have spoken, all of the graves would have come open. And there would have been a resurrection. But he called him by name. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And there comes Lazarus walking out of the grave. Some people believe that the grave clothes themselves weighed between 75 pounds, 120 pounds. You can imagine him being bound. Jesus said, take those off of him. He doesn't need those anymore. He's not dead. He's alive. Now you begin to put in perspective why Jesus said this was going to turn out for the glory of God. Now you're beginning to put in perspective why Jesus said, I'm proud that he's died. It's hard to get that perspective when you're in that present moment, when you're going through the difficulty and the pain. But let me say to you that Jesus Christ always has a specific purpose in a specific work, and he can take whatever the hurt and the pain is that we're facing, and he can always bring honor and glory to the Father. Because this story starts out with disappointment, but it ends in glory. I said to you at the beginning of this message that outside of Jesus' own resurrection, this is probably the most powerful miracle, a sign we see in all of Scripture. Now look, 
If Jesus would have chosen to go and heal Lazarus, we still would have read that story. We still would have talked about the power of God. But how much more was demonstrated? How much more power was demonstrated by Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead than even from a healing that could have occurred? The only way the true glory of God would have been seen here was if Lazarus had died first and God had a purpose for him. And Jesus just demonstrated the very fact, the very statement he had made, I am the resurrection and the life. I don't always understand why things happen. I still have questions. I still have disappointments. But the more that I read the scripture and the more I hear God's word in my heart and my life, the more I'm convinced that God has a purpose and a reason and that God can take whatever it is and he can use it for his glory and for his honor. If Jesus Christ could take the cross, which was meant to be something evil and wicked, and use it to bring us salvation, God can take anything and use it for his glory. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And friends, get this today. I'm looking forward to a a day when I spend eternity with him, when the body that will deteriorate, when it will be new and alive through another resurrection, through a resurrection. But I pray that you and I will live right now in the reality, the present reality that Jesus is the life and the resurrection. He's not going to be one day. He is now. You see, I have life through him because he is the life-giving spirit in my life and who I am. He is life. I am the resurrection and life. It's as though he wanted Martha to say, see it right there. Look, you're looking at life. I'm embodying the resurrection. And today, despite whatever disappointment you've seen and you've experienced, I pray that you would know that God is going to continue to work and that you would experience the glory of God one day. And today in this place, if you've never come and you've never bowed before him and experienced his life, would you come and do it today? Would you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord? Would you trust him and be saved? And for those of us who have, may we just walk around each day expressing the life that has been given to us through Jesus.